Amen. I wanted to title this this morning, Seeing Through or Seeing Beyond the Problem. How many of you have some problems here today? A couple of us in here. You might have some problems. It's so funny I'm preaching, everyone's in the back. But, uh, oh, yeah, I guess, yeah, the kiddos. If you guys wanted to go downstairs, we don't. So, if you want to turn in your Bibles real quick to Numbers chapter 13. We've got a situation where, for all of us, we uh, God gives us the opportunity. We've got this beautiful promised land here, right? Entering God's promised land. We see it. We uh, are aware of it. We're all aware in Scripture of what God says for us and what we can believe for. Um, but getting it from our head to our heart is a totally different idea. Um, and seeing beyond our problems is such an important thing. All of us have been given faith if we're believers here today. We have our faith in Christ. The other thing we have the ability to do, it's like Rod was saying, we've come to fight. Not every one of us is in a mood to fight all the time, are we? And uh, it's important to fight. And uh, we fight the good fight of faith and getting to the finish line. I wanted real quick to read uh, the 12 scouts and then them exploring Canaan. We're well acquainted with that story. We have 10 scouts that uh, had a really... Great wisdom, rational report. Yep, you're right. God did say it's a land flowing with milk and honey. But nevertheless, we can't take it. <laughs> we have all those people in church all the time, don't we? We call them fuddy-duddies. Turn us around and say, you're not a fuddy-duddy, are you? And then we have two men. Thank God for these two men because they actually had confidence in what the Lord said they could do. And I think what happens for all of us in our faith and in our walk, that we need to develop a sense of confidence for what God has said He would do. Um, really quick, in Numbers chapter 13, let's start there. Starting in verse 1. I'll drink my water before this long... Thank you, Monty. Everyone give it up for Monty. The... I couldn't preach without it. <clears throat> The Lord now said to Moses, Send out men to explore the land of Canaan, the land I am giving to the Israelites. Send one leader from each of the twelve ancestral tribes. So Moses did as the Lord commanded him. He sent out twelve men, all tribal leaders of Israel, from the camp in the wilderness of Paran. These were the tribes in the name of the leaders. We're going to, not going to go through all of them. Skipping real quick to uh, verse 17. Moses gave the men these instructions as he sent them out to explore the land. Go north of the Negev into the hill country, see what the land is like, and find out whether the people are living there are strong or weak, few or many. See what kind of land they live in. Is it good or bad? Do their towns have walls? Are they unprotected or open like camps? Is the soil fertile or poor? Are there many trees? Do your best to bring back samples of the crops you see. It happened to be the season for harvesting the first ripe grapes. So they went up and explored the land of the wilderness from Zin to Rehob to Lodi Hamath. Going north, they passed through Negev and followed Hebron, where Amen and Shisha and Talmi and all the descendants of Anak lived. These ancient towns of Hebron was found seven years before the Egyptian city of Zoan. When they came to the valley of Eshkol, they cut down a branch with a single cluster of grapes so large it took 
Two of them to carry it on a pole between them. They also brought back samples and pomegranates and figs. That place was called the Valley of Eshcol, which means cluster because of the cluster of grapes the Israelite men cut there. After exploring the land for 40 days, the men returned to Moses, Aaron, and the whole community of Israel at Kadesh in the wilderness of Paran. They reported to the whole community what they had seen and showed them the, fir, or the fruit that they had taken from the land. This was their report to Moses. Everybody focus on this now. We enter the land you sent us to explore, and it is indeed a bountiful country, a land flowing with milk and honey. Here is the kind of fruit it produces. But the people living there are powerful, and their towns are large and fortified. We even saw giants there, the descendants of Anak. And the Amalekites live in the Negev, and the Hittites, and the Jebusites, and the Amorites live in the hill country. The Canaanites live among the coast of the Mediterranean Sea, along with the Jordan Valley. Everyone say, but! But Caleb tried to quiet the people as they stood before Moses. Let's go at once to take the land, he said. We can certainly conquer it. But the other men who had explored the land with him disagreed. We can't go up against them. They're stronger than we are. So they spread this bad report about the land among the Israelites. The land we traveled through and explored will devour anyone who goes and lives in there. All the people we saw were huge. Even we saw giants there, the descendants of Anak. Next to them we felt like grasshoppers, and that's what they thought too. The people rebelled. Then the whole community began, chapter 14, weeping aloud. <laughs> Isn't that funny? And they cried all night. And their voices rose in great chorus of the protest against Moses and Aaron. If only we had died in Egypt or even here in the wilderness, they complained. Why is the Lord taking us to this country only to have us die in battle? Our wives and our little ones will be carried off as plunder. Wouldn't it be better for us to return to Egypt? Then they plotted among themselves, let us choose a new leader to go back to Egypt. And then Moses and Aaron fell face down before the whole community. Two of the men who had explored the land, Joshua son of Nun and Caleb son of uh, Jupani, tore their clothing. And they said to all the people of Israel, the land we traveled through and explored is a land, a uh, wonderful land. And if the Lord is pleased with us, he will bring us safely into land and give it to us. It is rich with land flowing with milk and honey. Do not rebel against the Lord and do not be afraid of the people of the land. They are only helpless. Pray to us. They have no protection. But the Lord is with us. Don't be afraid of them. But the whole community began to talk about stoning Joshua and Caleb. And then the glorious presence of the Lord appeared to the Israelites at the tabernacle. And the Lord said to Moses, How long will these people treat me with contempt? Will they never believe me, even all the miraculous signs I have done among them? I will disown them and destroy them with a plague, and then I will make you a nation greater and mightier than them. Moses intercedes for them. Thank God for Moses in our life, right? But Moses objected, what will the Egyptians think when they hear about it? He asked the Lord, they know full well the power you display. Now if you destroy them, the Egyptians will send a report of the inhabitants of the land who you've already heard that you live among your people. They know, Lord, you've appeared to your people face to face and your pillar of cloud hovers over them. They know that you go before the pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night. Now if you slaughter all these people with a single blow, the nation that they have heard of your fame will say the Lord was not able to bring them into the land he swore to give them. So he killed them in the wilderness. Please, Lord, prove that your power is as great as you have claimed. 
For you said the Lord is slow to anger and filled with unfailing love, forgiving every kind of sin and rebellion. But he does not excuse the guilty. He lays the sin of the parents upon the children. The entire family is affected, every child in the third and fourth generation, in keeping with your magnificent, unfailing love. Please pardon the sins of this people, just as you have forgiven them ever since they left Egypt. And then the Lord said, I will pardon them as you requested, but as surely as I live and as surely as the earth is filled with the Lord's glory, not one of these people will enter that land that they have may all have seen the glorious presence and the miraculous sign I have performed before Egypt and all the wilderness. But again and again they have tested by refusing to listen to my voice. Huge chapter, and a lot goes into that. I want to tell you that these ten spies that started drumming up this report, and again... We all have the good news, and then we all have the bad news, don't we? You know, me and my dad will talk at work, and we'll say, do you want to hear the good news or the bad news first? That's what me and my dad say, right? And I say, well, we pick, pick, pick the news that we want to hear. But folks, I want to tell you that the good news of what Christ has for you always trumps the bad news for your life. Always does. The ten spies, by the way, ten of those spies of the twelve, they were key leaders and they were important people. I want you to grab that. Because in your own family, in your own life, you might not say, well, I'm not a big, important person. I don't have this title in front of me. No, you are something. You are either a spouse, you're a husband, you're a wife, you're a son or a daughter. You have something special to give. You are a leader. Turn this one and say, you are a leader. We don't want to claim that state. We don't want to have that because then becoming a leader requires that we take responsibility. Jesus said this. He said, pray that there's not many teachers among you because greater is your judgment. The leaders carry a greater judgment in their life because they're held responsible for the things not only that they say, but also the things that they do. You think about what a bad report does in a person's life. You say, well... You know, wait, you got to tell the news. I mean, the facts are the facts. And we go through things in life. But I want to tell you that there is also, and there always will be, a good report. Always in your midst. Whether it's at church, whether it's at home, no matter how bad the news gets, there is always a good report that you can start declaring and saying. The ten spies were important people. So here's the thing. Their words carried a lot of weight. We are very flippant with our words. We're flippant with our words in church. We're flippant with our words at home. We're flippant with our words at work. And so what happens is we start to be consumed by those words and we actually start to live by the words that we say. These were respected men who were sent out to accomplish a task. And by the way, it wasn't so much for them to gather information to come up with some scouting report so they could figure out if the promised land was what it, they were supposed to do. God gave them that promised land already. He didn't even give them seeds to plant. Do you know when he was giving that promised land, everything was done for them. He literally planned everything. When he said, you're going to take the promised land, it wasn't them going there and working to make sure that the land was set up. No, he said, all these heathen people are going to set it up for you. I'm going to bless you. I'm going to establish you. And that's what Jesus did on the cross for us in the New Testament. Jesus said, I'm setting the table for you. There is nothing that you can do or add to this to accomplish effectively in your life what isn't already done. 
Folks, I want you to know today that your faith is able. You know what? I'm going to move this. I'm moving this closer. You guys are too far away from me. We're getting closer. Rod, here. We're going to move this closer. I'm getting in everyone's business now. Right here. There we go. Now you guys can't run, can you? <laughs> here we go. Your faith is able. You call in there means to be able to have power, having the capacity to prevail or to succeed. Caleb says, guys, we can do this. Haven't you met somebody with really good faith in their life and they're just always, we can get this done, we can get through this, this is something, there's potential here, we can grab hold of this, this is awesome, we're able to do this. I was walking through, we were at a building yesterday working through some things and we're having some issues with lifts and different things like that and we're talking and he starts complaining like, why do they build buildings where you can't even get to the windows? That's how they build these big fancy buildings now. And I turned to my lead guy and I said, you know what, I said, you know what's great about that kind of craziness that we have to jump through? No other company can do what we do around here. Amen. Job security. I'm serious. See, any bozo can do some normal work. But it takes a person willing to go the extra mile that's going to get to this stuff. And the question becomes for you and I with our faith, because you have been given the measure of faith, so it's up to you what you do with it. Christ is sitting and we're sitting, but I want to tell you that Christ has already done his work, so he's going to sit. And you're going to have to go in and follow through with a promise that's already been given to you and say, you know what, I'm going to lay claim to that in my life. And I don't know what you need to lay claim to today, and I don't know how much time it will take to get to it, but I want to tell you that if you're willing to say, I can do this through Christ who strengthens me, then you will accomplish through Christ things that you never thought you would do on your own. Your faith is able. And the English word, that word able literally comes back to can, could, or able. So you can. Turn to someone and say, yes, you can. Somebody help Dougie out there. Yes, you can, Dougie. So what happens is these men come back and see exactly what God told them. Yup, it's along with milk and honey. And another translation of the Bible says, nevertheless. Nevertheless. You can't do it. T.D. Jake says about the Word of God, he says, the Word is a contradiction to a circumstance. It comes to weak people, and it says that they are strong. Isn't that crazy about the Word of God? You think about faith for us and what we need. The Word is a contradiction to a present circumstance in your life. When God gives you a Word and says, you know, we hear that song in the Bible verse, let the weak say, I am strong, let the poor say, I am rich. You know, we, we sing those songs and see, we, we on the outside in our circumstance, it's completely opposite to what it is. You know, because these guys, not only did they say we couldn't conquer it, but now they were getting to the place where they were completely backtraveling and starting to say things about themselves that really was completely wrong and contradictory. They said, we are grasshoppers in our own eyes. This wasn't even about what people perceived of them. 
This was about what they perceived of themselves. Your faith today is going to require you to grab hold of a word that is completely contradictory to what's going on in your life. It contradicts everything going on in the place where you're at. It comes to weak people, and it says that they are strong. Folks, why do you need faith for what you're facing right now? You know, we come to church today not to make ourselves feel good, although it will. We come to church today not to do it because it's another thing we do and we're required of the Sabbath. Let's get to church, brother. We come to church because we need a filling of the Holy Spirit so that we can conquer where we need to go. T.D. Jakes goes on to say, you need faith to know what you didn't know before. You need faith right now to know some information about something that you didn't know before. You need faith in your life because you up here have all the answers, don't you? How many How many are facing your problems right now? And it's even swirling in your head right now, your situation. And you have already mapped out the progression of it, and you've even mapped out where you've decided, I'm going to stop. I'm going to stop here. It's not worth it. I keep hitting the wall. I keep hitting the wall. I'm not even going to deal with that thing anymore. Folks, your promised land, by the way, going into your promised land is going to require that you fight for it. You're going to have to fight for it. You're going to have to fight for joy in your life. You, joy just doesn't come to you. You don't just go into the joy tent and grab some joy tent stuff. Whatever a joy tent is. You don't go to the happy tent. You don't go to the love tent and say, I'm going to give up. You're going to have to start pouring your life out, and you're going to have to start looking at some situations in your life, and you're going to have to start knowing some things about your present circumstance that God wants to tell you that you don't presently know about it right now. There are some things you don't know about your situation that God wants you to know. You know, there's a thing in Scripture that tells us that we're supposed to put on the mind of Christ. We forget that every day. We think, well, God's going to fix all my problems over here and everything's going to be great. God wants us to put his mind on and develop his thought patterns and develop his style of speaking to develop his style uh, style of dreaming and go after those things in our life. It's such a great thing. If it's faith we need, what have we been living on at the church at large? And here's where I believe where the church is at. At large, not our church. Rod Dreyer writes, right belief or orthodoxy is essential, but holding the correct doctrines in your mind does you little good if your heart, the seat of your will, remains unconverted. That requires putting those beliefs into action through right practice, orthopraxy. See, there's a difference between orthodoxy, I've got good doctrine, and having it all up here, and not practicing it. It does us no good as a church, as a turning point, to have a bunch of people filled with good doctrine. And again, I'm not mocking it. We have to have doctrine. You better know your faith. But you better know it here too. Because there's a lot of people that grew up on the church and the regiments of it all, and it never changed their heart. Never once. We've been living this way. We've become diligent in our faith. Turn real quick, and I want you to show you a picture of what good faith growing in your life looks like. It's 2 Peter chapter 1. 2 Peter chapter 1.
2 Peter chapter 1, verses 5 through 8. In the view of all this, make every effort to respond to God's promises. I love how that's worded there, to make every effort to respond to God's promises. So that means I'm going to have to do something. I'm going to have to get off my hind pots. Supplement your faith with a genuine provision of moral excellence, and moral excellence with knowledge, and knowledge with self-control, and self-control with patient endurance, and patient endurance with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love for everyone. The more you grow like this, the more productive and useful you will be in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But those who fail to develop in this way are short-sighted or blind, forgetting that they have been cleansed from their old sins. Here's what will happen in a believer's life. If you don't put into practice this faith, you will become a cesspool of an old you that God wanted to use. You will actually start to forget, and you will actually have lack of vision, and you will become like one of those ten spies, and you will declare what God has said, but you will always end that declaration with nevertheless, no way, we can't do it. I'm a grasshopper in my own eye. If you don't practice your faith, believer, I challenge you in 2017, it is really easy not to practice your faith, isn't it? You know, we're, we're all in that place now of comfortability and we're not diligent in our faith and, and uh, we want somebody else to change things and do things and we're really good at giving bad reports. I need a... Oh, lots of bads going on in the world, Pastor. Lots of bad stuff. This bad report was a faithless one, and it defamed Yahweh's delivering ability. We think somehow in 2017, with all the craziness going on, and the sins that are going on, and people parading around with their sin and stuff, we think that God doesn't have the ability to deliver people from that. We defame God. We take God out of the equation and we say, it's gone too far. God can't do anything. But how many of you know God's grace is greater than any darkness? When the spirit, or when the devil comes in like a flood, there the Spirit of the Lord is to raise a standard against it. We think Yahweh gets scared in these moments. Folks, these dark moments we live in and these dark times we live in, these are the times when God shines the greatest. These are the times where he looks forward to exposing the darkness and saying, I am God and I submit to no man. Bad reports. Let me show you really quick what a bad report does and where a bad report comes from. How many of you, how many of you, you got, your mouth got you in trouble before? James chapter 3. We need to be reminded of these things because our, uh, our mouth is a pretty dangerous tool, can it be? James chapter 3, verses 2 through 11. Let's be careful of our bad reports because I don't want anybody this week defaming God's delivering ability in our circumstances. I know it's bad. I get it. But God is great. I know it's horrible and you're going through a rough time. But God has not lost his potency and his ability to deliver in that moment. James chapter 3, 2 through 11. Indeed, we all make many mistakes. Amen to that. 
If we could control our tongues, we would be perfect. Amen to that. And could also control ourselves in every way. We can make a large horse go wherever we want by means of a small bit in his mouth. And a small rudder makes a huge ship turn wherever the pilot chooses to go, even though the winds are strong. In the same way, the tongue is a small thing that makes grand speeches. But a tiny spark can set a great forest on fire, and the tongue is a flame of fire. It is a whole world of wickedness corrupting your entire body. It can set your whole life on fire, for it is set on fire by hell itself. People can tame all kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, and fish, but no one can tame the tongue. It is restless and it is evil, full of deadly poison. Sometimes it praises our Lord and Father, and sometimes it curses those who have been made in the image of God. And so blessing and cursing come pouring out of the same mouth. Surely, my brothers and sisters, this is not right. Does a spring of water bubble out of both fresh water and bitter water? Does a fig tree produce olives or a grapevine produce figs? No, and you can't draw fresh water from a salty spring. Folks, I'm going to tell you today, your mouth and my mouth, if you literally want to get out of the bad report format for your life, I challenge all of you, I, I just challenge you today because practically this is where it works, I challenge you in your social media this week to start producing some good reports. Amen. I know your cute posts. And I know what you fling out there. And for the most part, a lot of people just chew on a lot of garbage all day. And we regurgitate it. And I challenge you today in your reporting style. This isn't like an ostrich sticking his head in the sand. That's not what this is about. It is about where you will develop your focus in these last days. It is about what you will choose to find the driving force and if you will find the promised land for your life. Folks, there's no doubt if you've asked Christ in your heart, you get to heaven. But how many of you know when it comes to the kingdom of God, Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. You can miss out on blessings this side of earth. So let's have that conversation then about the things that I want to get and the things that I want to grab. Then you're going to have to make a decision of what reports you will choose to believe and what reports you will go after for your life. Some of us might need to take some words back. Some of us might need to clean up a few messes we've made with our words and our speech. Some of us might need to go to certain people that we've offended and cut down, by the way, sticks and stones will break my bones, but words will never hurt me. Isn't that a joke? Yeah. Many relationships have been utterly destroyed because of the madness that comes out of our tongue. These ten men, wise men, but they were crazy. These practical men were fools. These men who knew what to do and probably were the best rogues, they were the head of their tribe, and yet they lost vision for the future for their life. They preferred to be slaves in Egypt over the promised land. They were fools. Folks, I don't want to be a New Testament believer who walks around foolishly and yes, I'm getting to heaven, but I want to live a life of fullness, of life of the Spirit and victory and I can have all of that in Jesus' name. 
But you will have to make up your mind about your tongue. And you will have to make up a mind about what you say. And the cursing and the blessing that gets mixed. And you might have to fall on your knees. And I pray you do it before you leave this place. And say, God, I beg of your forgiveness for what has come out of my mouth about my circumstances. Because I have disallowed you from working miraculously in my life. Don't blame your junk on God. Don't blame it on God. Stop with the questions. We sit and we want to reason with Him. And God says this. He says, you want to reason with me? Were you there when I formed the foundations of the world? Were you there? You think you know the plan? You think you have the ability to get from the wilderness of the promised land with what you've been doing for the past 20 years? You think so? You think that the reports that you're reading every day in your life are going to get you out of bondage? What I see happening in the church right now, in the Western church, I'm not talking about the church that's alive and well in China and is in, in, in those huge places of persecution. I'm talking about the Western spoiled Christians. What's happening with us right now is not only are we not seeing promises fulfilled, we are getting more bitter, we are getting more angrier, we are getting less joy. Folks, I am telling you right now, you can explode with the things of God in your life if you would see the good reports in Him. Amen. Not only did the ten spots get to the point where they said, nevertheless, now they jump to, we are little grasshoppers. Now they rebel the crowd, and the crowd wants to destroy the messengers that are saying things other than what they want to see. See, the thing of it is, when you get stuck in your little corner in life, and when you're all depressed about your stuff, and you think nothing good is going to happen, when people come around you that are full of joy and purpose and happiness, that gets kind of offensive to you, doesn't it? That kind of messes you up. Well, why are they happy? Oh, they went through what I was going through. Man, everybody in this room is going through a bunch of junk right now. Turn to someone and say, I'm going through some junk too. You are, I say this very carefully and very respectfully, but you are not special. What you will have to do and this is what I have to do, is I'm going to have to choose to believe what reports that I want to believe. You will have to take the Word of God, which will be opposite of where you're at. God is not going to agree with you. You're waiting for God to agree with you. You're waiting for God to come in alongside you and say, Yeah, you're right, Joe. It's horrible. Yeah, you're right, Dan. It's just a horrible day. Yeah, you're right, Margaret. It's just stupid what's going on right now. Yeah. Rod, it's just a bad day. We want God to cuddle us. I want you to know the energy going out in the camp. You didn't have a 
Western Christians sitting around with Starbucks thinking we're persecuted. Folks, I am telling you, you have a promised land to run after. We don't know persecution. Somebody disagrees with us and we call it persecution. I pray everybody disagrees with you. Take some words back. And even in your head right now, take them back. And here's how you take them back. You don't say, I take them back. I want you to say, Lord, in Jesus' name, I break off those words that I've spoken against myself and others to harm them. Forgive me and fill my heart. Give me the ability to repent and to forgive right now from this sin. Because I have spoken things against that person that are very hurtful. I have thought thoughts about that situation that are very harmful. You might not have stoned that person, but in your head you have stoned them and you have put them to death. Oh, it's such a little thing. You say, man, how does this make a big... Oh, it'll make a huge, huge impact. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. That's how come people are cursing around me or saying things and they apologize and they're talking filth. They want to apologize. Don't apologize to me. You need to apologize to someone much bigger than me. See, we're so flippant with our faith, aren't we? And it lacks the Caleb and Joshua spirit that says, we can go after this. You know, can you imagine if they would have taken on the verse of Scripture, there's wisdom and much counsel, brother. Well, they would have failed if they would have taken on that counsel, wouldn't they have? You just make sure the counsel you get is of the Spirit of Christ. You just make sure when God gives you something, if you want to go talk to someone who has wisdom, make sure that that same person is the same person that wants to jump out of the boat with you and say, go after it. Don't talk to somebody who's a graduate scholar who's never sacrificed nothing in their life. You talk to people who have been there in the battle and have conquered and warred and have gone after those same giants you're getting ready to take on. Get after and around those people. Rub yourselves with them. Rub elbows with them. Rub elbows with moms and dads who have fought the good fight of faith for people and believed and seen good things. Don't you rub elbows with people that are the same mire you are and ain't getting on them. It's like the, the blind man leading the blind. It's like two people in the water drowning. They're just going to grab all over each other and push another person out to save their own butts. You get around someone off the shore, off the bank, saying, you can do this and you've got victory. You can do it. Amen. We are Caleb's and Joshua's here. And if it requires you to rip off the outside junk, if it requires you to rip off the old things in your life, got a new robe that he's going to give you when you get to the promised land, whatever it is for you. I don't know what your promised land will be. I don't know what it will be, but I tell you, it's not what you ever dream possible. You can't think of it. People try to describe heaven. It's funny describing heaven. Oh, streets of gold and blah, blah, blah. That's, that's wonderful. It's beautiful. we got pictures of that. But folks, I'm not going to heaven for gold. I'm going to heaven for Jesus. Amen. I'm not going to heaven for some quaint quiet place I can sit around the banks and fish. I can do that at Rock Run right now. I can 
go look at birds and see beautiful things. I can drive to Colorado and climb pipe trees, but I don't have Jesus. I want a promised land, folks. And I want our church to want a promised land in our own lives, to fight the good fight of faith, and to start believing good reports and saying, yes, we can, we can conquer. This nation is right now teetering back and forth, and the only thing that will save this nation is the grace of God and those who are faithful who choose to pray for the nation and its leaders and undergird the whole movement. The question becomes... For the Caleb's and Joshua in this place now is, will you hear his voice? Will you? That's your choice. Because you hear voices right now in your head, and you're swirling around in your circumstances, and you're hearing a lot of voices. You're hearing voices from friends and neighbors and relatives and newspapers and news, whatever you've got. You're hearing reports. And the Bible says this, Hebrews 3.15 says, If you will hear his voice and harden not your hearts. See, the spiritually fit people are those who are building in their morality faith. In other words, they're getting deeper and grounded in the faith. They're doing things. They're developing brotherly love. And out of brotherly love, what they start to do is even start to love people outside of the faith. That's the other thing that's beautiful, isn't it? You're not just loving your brother or sister in Christ. You're also starting to love people who don't know Christ. What a beautiful concept. We actually love the world. But will you hear his voice when God gives you something? On my desk sits a blue paper with three prophetic words spoken to me, every word and typed out for me, putting the date on exactly what the prophet had spoken to me for my life. 1997 and the year 2000. And she put it out there for me and printed it out there for me so that I could see it and I could read it. And when I would go through times in my life where I said, where the heck am I? Has anybody ever wondered where the heck you are? What's going on, Lord? What's going to take place? What's the next season for my life? And we would read that word. I would read that word over and over and over again and see it as a constant reminder of God's Spirit flowing and His Word being secure. I was actually dusting the table off yesterday, and I put it right at that same spot again. It's a beautiful reminder in faith that we say, you know what, whose voice, Steve, are you going to listen to? Whose voice are you going to listen to? Now comes... The Caleb's in life. Numbers 13.30, the Bible says that Caleb quieted the people before Moses. Have you ever been talking, hearing somebody talk so much and you just want them to be quiet? Maybe you're one of the talkers. We need to be quiet before the Father today so that you can and I can relearn how to talk and speak and say and formulate the words that need to be said. Be, be slow to, to speech, quick to listening. And we need to be slow to our speech. It's one of the things to be very careful. One of my most favorite verses of Scripture is this. Be still 
and know that I am God. Folks, when you're looking at that and you see all your things, the, the ten spies, they, they were telling facts. There was no doubt about it. The ten spies had good facts. They only wanted the certain facts that they wanted. And they chose to hear their own voices over that of God's. That's how come it says, if you will hear his voice. It's not that God's not speaking to you. It's you have to make a decision right now to say, I'm going to shut all the other voices off, and I'm going to choose to be still. Be still isn't just a physical sitting. It is actually a spiritual sitting before Lord, the Lord in a meditative state, allowing Him to work and to build your faith. We need to be still. Do you have any areas of you don't want to raise your hand where you just need to be still right now? Be still and know that I am God. We come to God and be still through prayer. Father Basil said this in an interview with this, with this writer. He said, when one advances in prayer, one comes to understand that prayer is not so much about asking God for things as it's about simply being in his presence. See, when you advance in your prayer, you start to throw lists away. You start to get out of the mode of what you think needs to be accomplished, and you say, God, I'm here in this meeting with you. What do you need from me? God, I am open, I am available, I want you to speak to me, I am stilling myself right now, and you allow God's work in your life. When you advance in prayer, it's not about things, it's about presence with God. And I love that. Now, there's nothing wrong with asking. The Bible says, seek, knock, and ask. So don't think, oh, shoot, I'm asking. No, there might be seasons where you attack things. But folks, right now, where we need to be in our Western Christianity, where we think we know it all, we've arrived and we've got the Bible memorized and all these kinds of things, don't you think it's about time where we say, God, I need to unlearn some stuff right now. I need to unlearn some things in my life right now because I think I've got it all together. And those ten spies had it all together. One thing that we're going to have to do is get out of our head. Turn to someone and say, get out of your head. Because of our limited approach to circumstances, we say, like the spies, yep, nevertheless, this is no way I will get what God's talking about. Melt the honey, the spiritual breakthrough, the victory. Rod Dreyer writes, I told the priest how in response to a personal crisis, my own Orthodox priest back in Louisiana had assigned me to a strict daily prayer rule, praying the Jesus prayer. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me, a sinner. For about an hour each day. It was dull and it was difficult at first. But I did it out of obedience. Every day for seemingly endless hours, silent prayer. In time, though, the hours seemed much shorter and I discovered that the peace I had conspicuously lacked in my soul came forth. After I was spiritually healed, my priest explained his reasoning for directing me to give myself over to that simple meditative prayer. I had to get you out of your head. You see, when we pray... We think we know what we need to pray about, right? Right, I mean, come on, we all know. God, these are the things that really need to take place right now. And God, if you could just make those things happen, bop, bop, bop. Everyone, clap your hands. It's nice, it's nice little set. You just get those things done and everything will be great with us. You just fix them up, take care of them, bop, bop, Joey, Johnny, Johnny, Johnny. Done. I'm done with my work. Ooh, hallelujah. Get out of your head. 
so much bigger than you. This is so much bigger than your little corner of the globe. I know you think you're the center of the world, but you're not. God is. We have to get out of our head. And then what happens is once we get out of our head, we get some fight. In the movie Rocky, you know, Mick was his trainer. Remember Rocky, the movie? One of my favorite movies was Rocky IV. In Rocky III, though, he, he, he comes up against a fighter called Clubber Lane. I used to love boxing. I used to love watching Evander Holyfield and Mike Tyson. The bad thing about that was is you would pay your $40 for the fight, and then it was over in a minute and 20 seconds, and we don't get mad. But we get some fights. And one thing I do love about fighting when watching these fighters is these guys in their skill and their train, and they go after it with all their heart. But Mick is talking to Rocky, and here Rocky got a little cocky. Anybody ever get cocky in your face before? We have to raise our hand at that. Feel like you got it all together, and then you just get rocked and you get hit. It was funny. One of the in the Shark Tank, one of the guys was talking. He was talking. He loved MMA, and he was talking to this one big fighter, and he said, yeah, can I get in the ring with him? And he said, listen, everybody's got a plan of attack and how they're going to do it until they get hit. And then that plan goes away. But the trainer said to Rocky, who was getting cocky, and he was up against a guy very hungry and wanting something. He said, the worst thing happened that could happen to any fighter, you got civilized. Say, well, what does that mean, civilized? I think in all of our faith, don't we get to the place where we kind of buy insurance policies for our faith? We get really civilized in the church. We get civilized with people. We want to sanitize things and keep things clean. But remember when you first came to Christ and you were uncivilized in your faith? Do you remember what you believed for and the things that you wanted when you were fresh in your faith in Christ and how big you thought God was? Remember that place in your life? All for the churches to get uncivilized again so that we can take possession of land that God has for us. God gives you the ability to overcome and win. And it's so beautiful that that happens. They said we are not able. We get comfortable and we're okay with where we're at. We accept the poor assessment of ourselves, The image not given to us by God but we created by our own warped view of things around us. How many of you have created some warped view of things around you? And by the way, what happens... When we get that warped view of our life and ourself and our self-image, this gives us the freedom to keep things the way that they are. And we're okay and comfortable with that because of the assessment we've made for ourselves. And that's how come when God says something different to our circumstances, we get frustrated. Because we're okay with the circumstance we're at. Rob Dreyer writes, we've become a people oriented around comfort. Folks, I want to ask you today with those words... And that fight that you need to have back in your life, what lie has taken root in your life right now? What lie of something? What have you bought? What have you said and made an agreement to and said, yep, that's just how it's going to be. And you know it's not from God. And yet you've taken it all in. You've drank the poison. You've eaten whatever you've eaten. And you've said, you know what, that's just how it's going to be. Folks, if you don't renounce those harmful patterns of thoughts, you will lose the dream and have a land and lose out on the land which is rightfully yours. I think dreaming is so important again. I'm not talking about lollipop dreams, by the way. I'm talking about dreams that God inspires in your life, and you go after those things. 
Eric Manis was talking to his 12-year-old daughter at the time, and she told him about a very simple, they had a simple moment, kind of big moment. She had this thought for him, and this is about that uncivilized faith again. I want to make a billion dollars, she said, so I can give it all away. Pretty cool, right? Pretty good dream. Well, the minute we do that, we say, oh, there's no way you're going to make a billion dollars, you're going to do that, and then, you know, that's not going to happen. And, and so what happened was at that conversation, then Ralph McManus starts talking to her about how what she needs to do and how this is going to change if you do, you become home. You know, he gave her all these different things about her life that she needed to do, right? Good counsel, the 10 spy counsel. He dove into what she needed to do and how practically to do it to help understand what she needed to do. He said, we left the place, we went into the car, I unlocked it, she got into the car quickly. By the time I slid into the driver's seat, she was sobbing. And I didn't know what was going on, I asked Mariah, are you okay? Just drenched in tears, she looked at me and said, Daddy, I want to change the world, but you can't appreciate my dream. I want to change the world, she continued. I didn't say I would be homeless, I said I didn't care if I became homeless. I want to change the world, can't you just hear my dream? When are you going to dream big again for that promised land? I know you got your circumstances, but can we just take our thinking caps off for a moment and put ourselves listening to a speech? Didn't have a pulpit, but a speech from Caleb about we can take these guys. Because let me tell you something, that was a billionaire dream that Caleb had inspired by God. To take on giants? We don't have the capability of doing that. And then we get to the finish line. By the way, you getting to the finish line will not be free of danger. Sandra, if you want to come up and start playing. Do you know, I want you to know where God's going to lead you today because I don't want to give you rosy colored glasses. Your promised land will not be free of problems. Eric McManus says it like this in his book, Barbarian Way. He says, Jesus leads us into the heart of the dark kingdom, into the soul of what is most evil. He takes us where mankind has chosen to live. And he calls us to live where the darkness has made those who wander there desperate for light. He leads us as warriors of light to risk our own lives for the deliverance of others. This is the path to the finish line, by the way. Why don't you close your eyes for a moment? God might be leading you into some dark places and some dark waters. But you're going to have to trust that God who led you into the waters is going to be the same God that's going to lead you out of the waters. And you're going to have to choose to hear His voice today, loved one. And it will be difficult and you will have some battles to fight, but the victory is yours, declares the Lord. And you're going to have to get back into the mode of, yes, I can. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Whatever you're in right now, the mix, you're going to have to trust that God gives you the tools and the strategies to conquer in the middle of that. And to give you complete victory. Today, with every head bowed and every eye closed, I want to talk to the loved ones in here today.
who have chosen to hear some voices. You've bought the lie. And you feel like a grasshopper right now in the middle of that thing that you can't beat it down. You can't get it. The mind games that are played, whatever it is, say, I'll never be able to defeat this. We just almost get to the place where we almost feel sorry for it. Today, I, I want us to be shaken spiritually so that we hear God's voice again. Today, if that's you and you say, you know what, that's me. And I bought a lie. And I want to get free from that again. And I'm choosing today to step out and be like Caleb and Joshua and declare the word of the Lord over my life again. I'm going to fight. Today, if that's you, why don't you raise your hand? Anyone in here today? Today, I want to address also our tongue and what we're saying. And maybe today you're saying things about your situation. You've got blessing out of one end, you come to church, and it's hallelujah, thank you, Jesus. And then when you get back to work and back to the normal things, things have been coming out that you're less than proud of. And your life is like two separate people, two separate paths. And this tongue has taken you to places that you've not planned on going, but you feel stuck there. I want you to know that there's freedom there. And I want us to pray together today, if that's you, and say, you know what, God, I want my tongue to bring forth light. I want what I say, Lord Jesus, to bring life and light to that in Jesus' name. If that's you, I want you to raise your hand today so we can agree with God once again. If that's you, raise your hand. Thank you. Anyone else? Why don't we all pray this together? Dear Jesus, I thank you for the promised land that you have for my life. I choose today to step into that. Help me to have a spirit like Caleb, a spirit like Joshua, to stand in the midst of doubters, of haters, and declare the word of the Lord. Help me, God, to hear your voice, to see things what others aren't seeing. I choose today to be a can-do person to get that promised land. Not in heaven, but here. In Jesus' name, amen. Folks, I love you, love you, love you very much. Do me a favor and go after that promised land this week, okay? Be the two, not the ten. That maybe should have been the title. <laughs> so, I love you guys so much. This time next week, it's going to be fantastic. We'll have some uh, blacktop out there. It's pretty cool. What a cool thing. Thanks for all your support. And by the way, with the Everybody Fed thing that we've done, the videos, uh, we are going to be presenting a check to Brad for his trip. Uh, we're going to be sending one down to him. If you want to support financially in that, we'd love you to. We want to give them as much as we possibly can. Uh, to everybody fed in Uganda down there to help them with those families. And uh, I know everyone knows this for a small family. We've heard it before. But Brad doesn't take a salary from everybody fed. Every cotton pick and dime goes to Uganda. He doesn't have some kind of salary he takes for doing this. This is his 
ministry uh, to what God's called him to. So it's a beautiful thing to get involved with that and know that everything's going after those kids and blessing them. But God bless you really good this week. Have a great week, folks.